0: Let's open up to Revelation 19. I am so stoked to cover this part of Revelation with you. Right, This is the return of King Jesus that we're going to be reading about this morning. Right? This event in the Bible right, is what Christians throughout the centuries have been looking forward to from Jesus' first followers up until today. Right? It's the return of our King to make all things right in the world. And, you know, it's not just Christians who are looking for a savior to fix the things that are wrong uh, in the world. I think uh, people in general are looking for someone to do that. That's why superhero movies are so popular right now. Right, up until last year, Marvel movies have grossed over $28 billion in the global box office because Hollywood understands something about, about humans, right? it's that we, we we long for heroes, for superheroes, for people to fix our problems. And these superheroes that we see in the movies, they're, they're made to be a lot like us. Right? Hollywood's really smart in that way. They've got everyday problems like paying rent or navigating complicated love lives. They've got character flaws and quirks and weaknesses. And because these superheroes are a lot like us, they almost make us feel like we too can be superheroes, that we can rise above our mess and our sin and become our own saviors. But here's the thing that I know about myself, is I make a terrible hero. I can barely change a flat tire, let alone fix the things that are going on in this world. I'd only make it worse. And so that's why I need a hero who's not me, and so does every one of us. That's why Jesus, King Jesus, is coming back to this world, to make right all that is wrong in the world. But we don't have to wait until he returns to experience his presence and his blessings. We can experience that right now. So when it comes to the second coming of Jesus, Christians differ on the details of, of Jesus' return. Some think that uh, Jesus will come secretly to take away the church before the final judgments on earth that we've been reading about, and then shortly after that return to judge the world. Other Christians think that Jesus will come back just once. He'll come back for his people, and at the same time come back and judge the world. Whatever your view is this morning, what we can all rally around and celebrate and agree with is that Jesus is coming back. He is coming. He came the first time as the sacrificial lamb of God to die on the cross for our sins. He'll come the second time as the lion, the conquering king, to do away with all evil. And when Jesus returns to earth, John, as we're going to read about, describes him in in many different ways. And we're going to zero in on some of these descriptions this morning. So let's get right into verse 11 in chapter 19. If you're using our hardback Bibles, that's 1,102 Starting with verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. His rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John sees heaven open up and has this vivid picture of Jesus. And the first thing John sees is a white horse that Jesus is riding on. Maybe if you've been with us through our study of Revelation, you remember in Revelation 6, there was another rider on a white horse. And that rider was sent out to conquer, spreading evil throughout the world. But here, Jesus comes on another white horse. Instead of bringing evil, he's coming to conquer all evil. This conquering is shown through the crowns, the many crowns on his head. These are crowns of victory. Jesus comes as the conquering king. That's the first thing that we see. right? Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death on the cross. And he's going to return a second time to get rid of all wickedness. And he'll do it by his word. We read here he's called the word of God and has a sword coming out of his mouth. Not literally, but this is representing the power of his word. To carry out judgment, just like a judge, right, and uh, gives a sentence and that can't be reversed. But he's also an executioner who executes that judgment, and that's how Jesus conquers when he'll return. And because we are joined to Jesus through faith, we also share in this conquering. One of the things this means for us is that right now we experience conquering sin in our lives. Maybe you feel like there's a certain temptation in your life, a certain sin. Maybe something in the past that you've done and you feel trapped by it, defeated by it. It's like a chain that's tied to your ankle and whenever you want to move forward in life, you feel that chain kind of tugging you and holding you back. But see, if we're joined to Jesus, we're free from the power and the authority of sin. Even that sin in our past that we feel like we can't shake. We might feel sin's presence, but we no longer have to listen to it because of Christ. Imagine a dog that's been tied to a fence all of its life. Then a rescuer comes and, 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 cuts the, the, and cuts the chain for the dog. The dog is free, but it still stays by the fence because it's so used to living next to it. And you can call to the dog and, and say, you're free, you're free, come, come over here. And yet the dog will stay because it doesn't realize it's free no matter how many times you call to it. See, we were enslaved by sin our entire lives until Jesus set us free. So we still feel its presence and sin's temptations, but we no longer have to give in to it and listen to it because Jesus conquered sin on the cross. And over and over again in the Bible, we hear we're free. We're free from sin's authority over our lives. So maybe there's that, that, that sin in our lives, like losing our temper to our family members. Maybe it's being lazy at work. Maybe it's chasing after respect and, and attention acceptance from others. We no longer have to live bound by, the, by, by our sins. We now have the power of the Spirit helping us to live free from sin's rule over our lives. So what is it that you're really struggling with today? Like remind ourselves right, that Jesus has conquered sin. In our lives, and gives us the power to do that in our own lives as our conquering king. Jesus is also the reliable king. He's called faithful and true. Everything that Jesus says can be trusted. Every promise that he makes will be kept. Before Jesus ascended back to heaven, Jesus promised his disciples that he would return. And in this chapter, chapter 19, Jesus is keeping his promises. You know, some people, they'll, they'll make commitments uh, with no intention on keeping it. Kind of like in school, you know, when a teacher would would, would, would uh, assign a group project, there's always that one kid, right, that, that, that says they're going to do their part, but they never do their part because they're just relying on everybody else to get a good grade. They have no intention on being reliable. Well, there, there, there are other circumstances, right, where it's not about intention, but it's about ability. Someone can be wanting to be reliable and wanting to keep their word, but not have the ability to do so. Remember when I was in college and my dad landed in the ICU? Right? My, my dad was someone who always wanted to provide uh, for his kids and make sure they were taken care of. And I remember with, being with him in the ICU room, and he'd have a $20 bill in his hand. He's, he's just laying there, he's got the tubes in him, and he's trying to give me money because he knows, right, that as a broke college student, like, I still need help. But with my dad, he always wanted to support his kids, but he, he, he didn't always have the ability to do so, even as he passed away, right? So some can have the right intentions, but not have the ability. But Jesus both wants to, right, keep his promises, but also has the ability to always keep his promises and always be reliable. What this means for us is that every time we read God's word and we come across a promise of God, we know that we can trust in him. When Jesus promises to go to him and he will give us rest in our souls, do it because that's what he promises. He will give us rest. When he promises peace in our hearts, when circumstances are just going crazy in our lives, he will give that peace. We can fully trust in his promises because he is reliable. Here's a third description of Jesus, right? His eyes as we read, are like a fiery flame. In other words, Jesus is the all-seeing king. Nothing escapes his sight. See, light from the fire makes things visible in the dark. One of the things I hated as a kid, when we would go home at night, wouldn't be being afraid of the dark, but when we got home at night, uh, I'd be uh, afraid of the big uh, B-52 cockroaches that were in our kitchen. So we'd come home, it'd be dark, and then once we turn on the light in the kitchen, those B-52s would stop what they're doing, eating the crumbs on the floor, and they'd scatter and go into their cracks. I just hated just even just seeing them. They're so gross. And the thing is, right, the light exposed them, and once they were caught, they scattered. Right, Jesus has eyes like a fiery flame. In other words, he sees everything. He makes known everything that's hidden. And when Jesus returns to judge all wickedness, no one can hide from him. No one can hide the wrongs that they've done. Nothing that's swept under the rug remained under the rug for long. And you know, this can be a terrifying truth, right? To think that all the wrongs that we've done, that others don't know about, Jesus sees and and he will bring justice. But if we've come to know Jesus and experienced his forgiveness, it's no longer terrifying. Right? But it leaves us in awe. It leaves us in awe. It amazes us. Because Jesus knows every single thing about us. He knows every single secret, every sin we've committed, more than our parents know, more than our siblings know, more than our spouse knows. And yet he welcomes us into his family because of the cross. He knows us completely and yet loves us fully because of his sacrifice right this truth about jesus should change the way that we live right now because jesus sees everything about us and accepts us completely we don't have to hide or pretend that we are better or more put together than we really are right because that's really an exhausting way to live life always putting up a front with other people it's like those social media filters that changes your features like beauty mode on tiktok Right, You're always putting a new filter every time you interact with people so that they see you a certain way because you want to be accepted. See, but Jesus sees past that filter, the mess and all, and he welcomes us in. And what that does is it frees us to admit our mistakes, our wrongs. It frees us to share our weaknesses and to seek help and support because Jesus already receives us. And it's because of his sacrifice. That's the fourth description. He is our sacrificial king. we look back at verse 13, he wore a robe dipped in blood. Now here's the thing, right? The battle hasn't begun yet, so this is probably not the blood of his enemies, but his own blood, his own blood. Back in Revelation 5, uh, John saw Jesus as the bloody lamb that was slain. Jesus is that sacrificial king who gave up his life on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve for our sins. He defeated sin, Satan, and death by his own death. And here's the crazy, amazing thing. is because of his sacrifice, we join him in this triumph over wickedness. In verse 14, the armies that follow him on white horses, they're wearing pure white linen. Who's that? That's us. That's us. See, in verse 4, in, in chapter 19, it's God's people who wore white linen. And so when Jesus returns, he's joined with his people to experience his victory together. And it's all because of his sacrifice. Right? And this truth about Jesus should change how we live right now. Right? As followers of Jesus, because of his sacrificial death, we are now free and motivated to live Sacrificially for God's glory, we no longer need to make life about trying to hoard our possessions or gain more for ourselves as if our lives depended on it because we have already received real life with Jesus that's eternal and secure and cannot be taken away. And so, this frees us then to give up our lives, our time, our resources, our energy to worship God and to serve others because that's what Jesus. Did so, where, where in our lives is Jesus leading us to live more sacrificially in our church community, in our homes, in our workplaces, or in our schools? Let's depend on the power of the Spirit to do that. Because Jesus is our sacrificial king, He's also our sovereign king. He's our sovereign king back in verse 12, right? He has a name that no one knows. You see, in ancient times, to know a name of a deity meant that you had some authority over them to do what you want them to do. But see, Jesus has a name that no one knows. He cannot be controlled by others. He is completely sovereign. He rules with an iron rod, and that just shows his strength to dish out just punishment on all evildoers. In verse 16, he has the name King of Kings and Lord of lords on his robe, which covered his thigh. See, in Roman times, when Caesar entered the Roman Senate, they'd be cheering him, saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, Caesar may have been king of Rome, but Jesus is the king of Caesar. How encouraged would the people in John's day must have been Right here we have the Roman Empire pressuring them, being hostile towards Christians, and yet Jesus is sovereign even over Caesar, over the Roman Empire. That truth is, is true today. Jesus is sovereign over every world leader that we read about, every dictator that we might be worried over. He's sovereign over every authority in our personal lives. And because Jesus is the King of Kings, he can't be voted or kicked out. We've been reading in the news over the past few years just in a number of different countries, right? Coups that's been happening where leaders have been kicked out and removed from power. Well, Jesus can't be removed. He is totally sovereign. And we also see the sovereignty with his defeat of the beast and the false prophet. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying high overhead, Come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and of their riders, the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, along with it the false prophet, who had performed the signs in its presence he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image with these signs both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh here satan and everyone allied with him come to make war against jesus and his followers and instead of an epic, Marvel, endgame type battle, it's over before the first punches are even thrown. The beast and the false prophet, they're defeated, right? That's the, this, um, this worldly kingdom, and these religious systems are done away with. And everyone who rejected God and followed the beast will be judged by Jesus' word. And this scene just highlights Jesus' sovereignty, his complete sovereignty. Maybe you've heard people describe good and evil, God and Satan, as if they're equal in power. They're constantly battling against each other like a game of -of tug-of-war where God's pulling more more, you know, sometimes. But then when evil comes, oh, Satan seems to be like he's gaining control. But no, that's not how the Bible describes God's relationship to evil and Satan. He is totally sovereign over it. And this truth about God changes the way we see life. Because he's sovereign and in control over everything, we don't have to worry or fear over life's uncertainties. The things we can't control or change, whether it's our financial situation, maybe it's the health of family members or even our own personal health, or maybe it's just being worried every day about what's going to happen in that all the uncertainties that could come about. And a lot of times we get worried and anxious because we forget that God is sovereign even over that. The thing that keeps us up at night, God's in control. And that frees us to rest and to trust him because he promises that he works everything, even the tough stuff, for good, for those who love him because he's sovereign. Here's the last description. Jesus is our impartial, king he's our impartial king in 17 and 18 right just paints a vivid image of judgment brought on everyone who fights against god there's an invitation to the birds to eat the flesh of the dead and that's just a picture of god's total judgment on the wicked and the thing is no one is exempt from god's judgment whether you're rich or you're poor whether you're a political leader or a follower Whether you have a high social standing and you're the one that gets invited to all the important meetings or you're a slave following the orders of their master, everyone is judged. And everyone is judged fairly because Jesus is impartial. He won't give a free pass for their wickedness because they have a lot of money, He won't turn the other way when it comes to enforcing justice because they're popular or someone is powerful. He won't take bribes. He won't take bribes. One of my relatives was sharing with me when she was in high school, uh, her, her math teacher showed a lot of favoritism to some of the students. He would let some students play cards in class and he would even join in on playing cards with them. Some students would go off of campus and buy food and bring back a plate lunch to him and he'd give them a good grade for math. I'm trying to imagine, right, if I'm a student in this class and I'm trying hard, you know, with, uh, with my homework and with tests and, and seeing other students being shown favor and getting good grades for giving plate lunches, right, that would be very discouraging and very angry. But God cannot be bribed with plate lunches, can he? Right? He is impartial. Maybe we see people in our lives getting away with some pretty terrible things, and you've tried to bring it up to the proper authorities, and they really didn't do anything about it, and you've been discouraged. Or maybe you've been a victim of a wrong done to you. Maybe it was a family member who wronged you, a friend who wronged you, a co-worker who wronged you, a boss who wronged you, and maybe you've sought some justice, but the punishment didn't fit the crime. And you won't take the matter in your own hands to get revenge, but you can fantasize about what that could look like and maybe you're still holding on to some bitterness right because you feel like they're getting away with what they've done well we don't need to hold on to that bitterness we can leave judgment to God because he is impartial he is fair he's going to punish all wickedness nothing escapes his sight but here's what that also means it means that we too will be judged for our sins God won't look the other way. We're not exempt from paying the penalty for every time that we've broken God's laws. And that's why the cross is so beautiful. Because on the cross, we see God's justice, that he has to punish all wickedness. At the cross, we see God is merciful, that Jesus took upon himself the punishment that we deserve for every time we broke God's law. And for everyone who trusts in him, right, we have forgiveness and life. He rose again three days later for this, to give us this new life. And when Jesus returns, he's going to make every wrong right. This is the king who is coming soon. This is the one that we are all looking forward to. And this is the one who is present with us right now by his Holy Spirit, empowering us to live lives looking forward to his return. And we're going to spend some time celebrating and looking forward to King Jesus' return for us. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for King Jesus, that he will come soon and make all that is wrong right we look forward to a day when sin will be no more, where temptation will be gone, where all wickedness will be done away. And we will see our Savior face to face. And so, Lord, we pray that this hope that we have in your second coming would encourage and empower us to live sacrificially and joyfully today. And so, Lord, we pray that we would respond now in sweet worship to you, King Jesus. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.